wonderful to see each and every one of you today. We are counting down the days until we can be in person uh, once again. And I want to dedicate this service today, this entire service today, to a quiet leader, but a leader nonetheless named Greg McCarter, uh, who this week passed away due to COVID. It's a healthy reminder for every single one of us that when we look at numbers to understand that every single one is attached to a name, that when we have opinions about different things in this season, that there are those who, go, who are going through and experiencing the most difficult realities. And so again, we want to be praying for the entire McCarter family with special mention to Aaron. And so together, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Greg. We thank you for the quiet leader that he was. We thank you for his decades of faithfulness in serving you, in serving through Ottawa School of the Bible, teaching your word, but first abiding in your word. Father, for being salt and light in the midst of the world in which he found himself and the family in which he is. And so, Lord, we together pray for the McCarters. We pray for the entire family. Jesus, we pray that you would comfort them. Holy Spirit, comfort as only you can. Lord, your word says that when the body hurts, when one member hurts, we all hurt. And Lord, today, we, we do, we grieve and we mourn the loss of Greg. We celebrate that it is not a forever goodbye because of the work of the cross. But we do feel, we do feel that grieving on this side of eternity and how much more his, his immediate family, his extended family. And so together as a Life Center family, we lift them up before you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I invite you to continue throughout the service to be praying for the McCarter family. You know, I can't begin to tell you how much of an internal wrestle there was, uh, whether or not to spend time talking about leading more like Jesus. Uh, and here's the reason why there was such an internal wrestle, whether or not we actually dive into the topic of leading like Jesus. Because the concern is that a huge percentage of you right now might check out because you don't see yourself as a leader, when you think of leader, the last person that you would picture is you. And the other side of it is also equally true that there's a small percentage of you that when you hear the leader, all, hear the word leader, all you think about is yourself. And that is equally a problem as well. And I think to both extremes and all of us in the middle, Jesus wants to speak. So I'm asking you not to check out. But here's what I want you to know. There are four things that are equally true of all of us the moment we give our lives to Christ. When we give our lives to Jesus, when we dedicate to becoming followers of Christ, living into the way of Jesus, every single one of us in that very moment are grafted in. We are members of the body of Christ. Every single one of us have intrinsic value, not only to God, but also to one another. We are also ministers of reconciliation in a lost and broken world. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 18 says that you and I are given this ministry of reconciliation. We are called to all the above, that we are members of the body of Christ. We are called to be ministers of reconciliation, and we are called to all the above using the same motive, which is love, that the motive of why we do what we do, say what we say, believe what we believe, engage what we engage, is all supposed to be love. And we are all entrusted with the same mission. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 says, Go into all the world and proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This was not a, a mission just given to some. It was given to every single one of us. Now, where do we differ? That's important to know. We all have different spiritual gifts. We see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We have different spiritual gifts. Uh, we have different measures of faith. 
Every single one of us have different measures of faith. Ephesians 4 verse 7 says, yeah, we have different measures. We have different assignments. We have different callings. That's okay. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later. And so whether God uses your life to lead a child, a spouse, a friend, a neighbor, a coworker, or even a movement... We are all called to follow Jesus ourselves. Every single one of us are called to follow Jesus ourselves. And we are called to make disciples of others. So in some way, every single one of us are called to lead at least somebody else. You cannot make a disciple of somebody else if you yourself are not in some way loving and leading them. Here's how the Apostle Paul led this in the church in Corinth. Here's what he said. Let each person, did you catch that? Let each person, in the chat I want you to write each person, okay? Let each person lead, there's the word. Let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him, to her, to them, and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. What is his rule in all the churches? Let each person lead the life, not necessarily just live the life. Let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to them, that the Lord has entrusted to them. Every single one of us are not owners of our lives. We are stewards of our lives, and we will all give an account of the Lord what we did, what we did and what we are doing with our lives. Again, you aren't called to merely live your life, but to lead the life that the Lord has entrusted to you. And leadership in the Bible is very different than any other context. Because leadership in the Bible is exclusively rooted in your fellowship. I'm going to say that again. That leadership in the Bible is exclusively rooted in your fellowship. How do we follow Jesus? That is the most critical question in regards to leadership in all of the Bible. It's how are we following Jesus? This is what gives us the anointing and the authenticity and the authority with which to lead. The Apostle Paul said in the same one we just made mention of a few moments ago in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. In other translations, follow me as I follow Jesus. What's the subtext to that? In other words, where I'm not following Jesus, you don't follow me. Only follow me where I am following Jesus. Only follow me where I am imitating Jesus. If I'm not following Jesus, don't imitate me. If I am following Jesus, even if it's hard, follow me. Here's what is true of every single one of us engaging this with our whole heart today. Here's what is true. The most challenging person that you will ever lead is yourself. Isn't that true? That the most challenging person that you will ever lead is yourself. Now, other people might drive you nuts. And you may drive them absolutely crazy. But the most challenging person day in and day out that you will ever consistently lead is you. And so we have to look at then is how did Jesus lead himself? Before we can talk about what he did, we have to look somewhere differently. He told us the one thing he did. And he called us to do the same thing. Here are some questions I want you to reflect on in this moment. Why did he wait until 30 years to begin his public ministry? Why did he wait 30 years to teach, to heal, and to really begin a disciple? Why did he call 12 disciples and not 17? Why did he call 12? Why did he stay in this town and not move to that town? Or why did he move to that town and not stay in this town? The answer to all of these questions is the heart of how Jesus led himself. 
In John chapter 5, verse 19, and then John 8, we're going to read two sets of scriptures because Jesus answers the question, how did he lead himself on a day-to-day basis? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees. In the chat, I want you to write the word sees. It's really important, sees. Because what we begin to set our eyes upon usually is where our hearts begin to follow. Hold that for a minute. We're going to pick up on that. The son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son does likewise. And so Jesus lived his life rooted in the affection of his father, but looking to his father in order, what God are you doing? Father, what are you doing in this life, in this season, in this town? And then he followed the leading of his father. John 8, verse 28 and 29, I do nothing of my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. I'm going to read it again. And he who sent me is with me, and he will not leave me alone, or he has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. What did Jesus say to you, and what did he say to me? He said to each and every one of us, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. The very thing that Jesus had with the Father is the very thing that he offers to you and he offers to me. Please hear me. In particular, in this bumpy season that we have found ourselves in the last couple of years, it is vital that we do what Proverbs teaches, that you and I need to learn how to guard our heart but not close our eyes. We need to learn how to guard our heart but not shut off our ears. We need to simultaneously learn how to guard our heart but not shut down our emotions. You and I need to guard our affections because who or what we fall in love with, we follow. We need to learn how to guard our affections because who or what we fall in love with, we will inevitably follow. And this isn't a warning only against sinful things. Church, I need you to hear me with both ears and your whole heart. This isn't only a warning against sinful things, falling in love with sinful things, falling into sinful things. No, absolutely, we can talk and look at that. But there are some of us who are more, we have fallen more in love with prophecy than we have of Jesus. That we get more excited to talk about prophecy than we do to talk about the person of Jesus. That we love the gifts more than the giver of the gifts. That we love talking more about end time things than we do the Lord of the end times. The harvest, the Lord of the harvest. And again, these are all good things, but they're not Jesus. That good things that become important and ultimate things in our lives. Again, if you look at the last season of your life, if you're looking, you know, if you're looking at things, if you're looking at whether there are things on YouTube or you're looking at all the things in the world, you're looking at different theories about this and that. And I'm not even saying conspiracy. I'm just saying looking at all of these things. If you're looking at all the things that we are experiencing in the earth today, good things can become the sole affection of our heart. They can take the affection of our heart. And here's what happens when really good things, though, when really good things grab the affection of our heart and not Jesus, then oftentimes people who don't see it the same way and experience it the same way and don't believe that this is the answer, we begin to live with these moral imperatives that there are people all around us that if you don't see it my way, agree with it my way, you're lost, you're a sheep, you're blind, you're dumb, you're all of these things. And this is not the way of Jesus, nor is it the way of 
leadership. It's not, that is not following Jesus. So church, don't shut your eyes off. Don't shut your ears off, but guard your heart because whatever the affections of our heart are, I have found myself in this season, full honesty and transparency and confession. I have found the affections of my heart be greater to talk about secondary things in this season more than Jesus. And that's not enjoying life. That's not just taking a break. I'm not talking about enjoying sports or enjoying this or enjoying that. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And we can have joy and beauty within it. But you know, you know when the affection of your heart has been anchored to something other than Jesus. Because you begin to see the fruit in your life. A concern again of mine that too many followers of Jesus can maybe have more affection for perhaps end-time prophecy than end-time purpose. In seeing Jesus save the lost and seeing the saved living more and more free in Christ. And so here's our first lead like Jesus lesson. In Matthew chapter 17, Jesus tells a story one day where the disciples came across a boy who was struggling with a demonic influence and the disciples couldn't do anything about it and question is, how did Jesus respond to what they were unable to do? Did he enlist them into some super following Jesus course for experts? And the answer is no. You see, for Jesus, it wasn't just the size of their faith. This is so important. This is our, so, this is our first leadership lead like Jesus lesson. For Jesus, the issue isn't merely the size of your faith. We all have different measures. It's always the source in which your faith is planted. And so your spiritual enemy has no problem if you want to plant your faith into good things, but not God things. No problem at all. And Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him. This is Matthew 17, 18 to 20. And the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, uh, why could we not do that? <laughs> why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith, then Jesus goes to the smallest thing. If you have faith at the grain of a mustard seed and you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, that's a Jewish idiom, then nothing will be impossible for you. Now this verse only makes sense if you read what Jesus said just before it in Matthew 17, verse 17. He said, and Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? O faithless and twisted generation. Twisted meaning they have planted their faith in things that are dead like idols. That we are rooting our affections. We are anchoring our affections in things that ultimately don't matter. Aren't eternal. Aren't of grand significance. They may be of good significance but not grand significance. Today... All around us, we have a type of Christianity which is rooted in a noble and amazing desire to do good things, but is fearful to say loving even hard things. You know, church, hard things aren't always bad things. Some of your greatest moments, some of my greatest moments, come on the other side of really hard things. The mustard seed contains everything that it needs, but it must be planted in the proper place. It must be rooted in the proper soil if it is to flourish, to reach its potential, to be all that it can be. It's not merely the power of the seed. It is looking at where is that seed planted. If it's planted in rocky or thorny, as Jesus told a different story, the outcome is much different. But when that seed is planted in good soil, it is why Old Testament prophets prayed 
this prayer often. Would you till the ground of my heart? Would you break up the foul ground in me? Why? Because they knew it's not just the word that they had to declare. It is the rooting of their heart that matters most. It's not just what we see on the outside. It is where we are anchored in abiding. Again, the mustard seed contains everything it needs, but it must be planted in the proper place. Before the mustard seed can grow, it has to die. It has to go through a really hard thing in order for it to grow and to transform and to be what is destined to become. We can't plant in doubting who God is and simultaneously grow in trusting Jesus. It doesn't matter how many three, four, 17 step things you do if your heart is planted in doubt around who God is, not necessarily in what God may do. That sometimes is a mystery. But when our hearts are rooted in something other than who God is, who God has declared himself to be, it's quite difficult to try to work from the outside in when the gospel is from the inside out. We can't plant in suspicion around salvation and then grow in the joy of the Lord being our strength. Again, much of the conversation about purpose and destiny and dreams focuses on the makeup of the seed. And while this is of importance, I get that. For Jesus, the most critical thing wasn't the makeup of the seed. It was the soil in which it's planted. And that's a word for this time in this season that we find ourselves going through. Thomas Kelly said this, Begin where you are. Obey now in talking about surrendering to Jesus. He says, begin where you are. Obey now. Use what little obedience you're capable of, even if it be like a grain of mustard seed. Begin where you are. Live this present moment, this present hour, as you now sit in your seats at home, on the couch, outside, wherever you are, in utter submission and openness towards him. Thomas Kelly is saying, it's not merely the power of the seed. Once again, it is where that seed was planted. And what we see in Jesus is that he rooted in the affection of his father. And from that place, he flourished and he grew. And so the question that I have for you, for all of us today, is where is your heart planted in this season? Not what have you been saying saved from, what are you rooting in? Are you rooting in cynicism? Are you rooting in, in just being a critical spirit? Are you rooting in thinking you're better than somebody else? Are you stewing in an old wound? Are you stewing in an, an offense? Where is your heart rooted? The enemy wants us to root in sinful things and good things, but not the ultimate thing, which is Christ the Lord. He has no issue if our identity is in what we have done, good or bad. He has everything to fear when our identity becomes rooted in Christ, because from that place, and that place is available to every single one of us, no matter where we are, it is a single obedient step away, because that is the place of growth. That is the place of fellowship. That is the place that, yes, it may be a hard place, that God may pull you through something hard, but it is not because his affection isn't you know, against you. It's because he's for you. Yeah, some things in us have to die in order for us to truly live. To lead, you don't have to be somebody else. To lead, you don't have to be anybody else. You don't have to be somebody else 
but you might have to root your heart in something else. You might need to learn in this season or the one upcoming how to trust Jesus differently. What do hardships create in our lives? They create the opportunity for you and I to learn how to trust Jesus differently. And that's not easy, but it's a, it's a hard thing, but it can actually lead to life. You know, for Jesus, leading himself was all about abiding in the affection of his Father. All of that that you see in Scripture, seeing people saved, seeing them healed, seeing them set free, preaching the good news, preaching the gospel, all of that flowed out of this, rooting and abiding in the belovedness of his Father. Is it any wonder why that when Jesus wanted us to be leaders, he calls us to follow And is it any wonder why the very thing he said to us was the very thing that he did with his father? Jesus said, I will be for you what my father was for me. John chapter 15, verses 4 to 5. Let's read it. Jesus saying to us, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, Neither can you unless, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Remember just a few minutes ago, what did Jesus say? I do nothing of my own accord, only that which I see the Father do. I don't, I've laid aside my authority, Philippians says. I'm here in human form. Yes, fully God, but also here in human form that I'm following my Father. I am showing you the way in which to live, how to flourish in the world. And Jesus says to you and I that apart from him, we can do nothing. Now listen. Yeah, we can get jobs and we can make money and we can do this and we can do that. Sure, we can do all those things. But who's the one who gives us breath? Who's the one who gives us a new morning? Who is the one behind all these things? It's quite arrogant to believe that getting up every single day, that that I am the architect of everything that I see, that the earth continues and everything continues at the word of his mouth, in the sovereignty of who God is, the grandness and the greatness of God. It is quite a prideful thing to look at our lives and say, look what I have done and not see the source behind Leading ourselves is an adventure in abiding. Let's get real and really practical. How do we best abide? Well, how did Jesus abide? How did he do it? The first thing he did is he rooted his identity in the affection of his heavenly Father. Good question for you to prayerfully ask today is, Lord, what is my identity rooted in? As a culture, we talk a lot about identity. From the Scripture's perspective, perspective. They are important identities, but they're secondary identities. You know, whether we're talking about our gender or our sexuality or our generational perspectives, a lot of things that form us and shape us absolutely. You know, these are all secondary identities. The primary identity of followers of Jesus is I am known as the beloved of God because of the work of Christ, that my primary identity is a son or a daughter of the King Most High. 
Every other identity, yes, can inform and shape, but there is no identity like knowing who I am in Jesus. You root your formation in those who are following Jesus. Every influence in your life is designed to lead you somewhere from digital influences to personal influences to media influences to political influences to all of our opinions. Root your formation in those who are following Jesus. Here's a great question that you want to ask yourself when you feel your affections being formed. Does the one who I'm following know where they are going? That is a vital question. Not just on earth, but do they know where they're going eternally? I can learn, we can learn from anyone. That's called being humble. But ultimately, when it comes to forming our lives, does the one I'm following know where they're going? And root your life in the way of Jesus, not the way of the world. A quick word on that. Jesus was in the world, but he wasn't of the world. It's called incarnation. He was fully in the world, but he wasn't of the world. That's why you can see that Jesus could hang out with sinners and tax collectors and not become a sinner and tax collector himself. Now that's Jesus. You and I need to use wisdom with who we engage our hearts and lives with because of this thing called influence. Ruining our hearts in the way of Jesus, not the way of the world, is not this ethereal thing. It comes down to oftentimes these spiritual disciplines in our lives that you and I are to engage. One quick note here. You know, Pastor Lori and I last summer began to talk about Heart Strong. We didn't know it was called Heart Strong. But a lot of it was born out of our experience. A lot of it was born out of pastoring. And then Pew Research and Barna affirmed what we were experiencing. Did you know that one out of 10 followers of Jesus read their Bible outside of church? One out of 10. And so in a time and in a season and in an era where there's so much deconstruction occurring, nine out of 10 followers of Jesus are doing that, never actually engaging God's word for themselves in context. Now look, we, there's those who are, and we can disagree on that. That has been since, that has been since forever and it will be since forever. But nine out of 10. And so we know we couldn't solve anything. But this is what we could do. There's something powerful. There's something powerful when people begin to do something differently together. And so part of that is HeartStrong. And so right now, if you don't know what it is, you can go to heartstrong.life. But it is a way to begin to get in God's word together in community. If it's something that you could do just by yourself, perhaps you would have done it by now. But maybe you need to think differently about spiritual formation. Maybe you need to gather with others who are following Jesus, living into the way of Jesus, and getting some structure into your life to begin to read God's word together. So again, because we hide God's word in our heart so that we might not sin against him and so we might fulfill the mission that he has for all of us. Because we lead ourselves by fixing our following, not merely by sharpening our focus. We fix our following. What, where are my affections? Who am I following? What am I following? We lead ourselves like Jesus did by focusing there, not just on what we see, not just on what we think, not just all these opinions. Focus is very important, but it's secondary to who we're following. Fix your following first and then work on your focus. Otherwise, fix your focus. Focus, work everywhere out here doesn't matter if you're following the wrong one. doesn't matter how perfect your focus is if you're aligned at the wrong thing. Because Life Center, our church, our city, 
our world, it needs leaders singing a new song. Because the song we've been singing for the last number of years, it's tired. Instead of polarization, let's sing a new song about the power of diversity in unity. Let's talk about togetherness. Instead of canceling, let's sing a new song of the beauty of disagreeing, but doing so with civility. Instead of calling out, let's sing a new song of calling one another higher. Instead of looking inward, let's sing a new song of this upward call that we have in Christ Jesus. Instead of using other people to prove your point, let's sing a new song that provides a platform for God to move. Let's not just use one another as pawns for our points, but God, may you use our lives for a platform that you desire to move in and through the nation of Canada. And so we need new young leaders. We need revived, middle-aged leaders to drop the cynicism, to experience compassion. We need experienced, wise leaders. We need single leaders. We need married leaders. We need every nation, tribe, kindred, and tongue. We need new leaders everywhere, every organization, every single church, every ministry, every nonprofit, every single one of them need new leaders, middle-aged leaders, mature leaders. We need leaders Everywhere. Where do we need leaders? Everywhere. You might be the answer to somebody else's prayer. You surrendering your heart today. You breaking out of cynicism today. You opening your heart and stop blaming everyone else and say, God, would you root my heart in something different? You turning down the noise of all the theories and turning up your heart to God's word. This may be doing those things. You may not see it now, but beginning to root your life and the identity of who you are in Christ. Root your life in following Jesus, leading into the way of Jesus. You might be by those steps, you might be become the answer to another church, this church, a ministry of this church. You might be a nonprofit. You might be at work. You may be at home. You may become the answer to somebody's prayer. But I promise you, if you just live in cynicism, if you just live in criticism, if you just live in tearing down, if you just live in deconstruction, if you just live in pointing out the faults of everyone else, if we just live there, that is the old tired song that builds nothing of relevance and value. It doesn't inspire anyone else. Yeah, the problems we are experiencing are great. Don't shut your eyes off. Don't shut your ears off, but guard your heart so that your heart can be rooted in the affection of the Father. Father. Because church, leadership in God's kingdom is not about us. Leadership is about our fellowship. And so together, let's pray. Lord, would you let each of us lead the life that you have assigned to us and to which God has called us. May we focus our following by fixing our gaze on you. Would you teach us to see you as our source and not disqualify the potential of the seed that you have planted in us by mistakenly judging as we look at it due to its small size. The small step in our hearts, Lord, may we not see as insignificant today because planted in the right soil is the potential for kingdom growth. Lord, lead us to sing a new song, one that can quite literally change the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Greg, we're going to miss you. The Carter family, we're praying for you. Church, may Jesus bless you and may he keep you.